I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. He's looking at you, kid. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Oh, I've been thinking. Well, what do you want to do that for? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Welcome to 99 Years 100 Films, the podcast where we look at every winner of the Best Picture Academy Award in release order and see why the film is so highly regarded. This time around, we are looking at Casablanca, so one of the best-known winners from the 40s, I would say. Oh, I'd agree. So just a quick rundown on the details. So this movie was directed by Michael Curtiz, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It was based on a play, Everyone Comes to Rick's, by Murray Bennett and Joan Allison. The play at the time of the film was unproduced, although I strongly suspect that would have changed in between. And the screenplay credit is shared by Howard Koch, Philip G. Epstein, and Julius J. Epstein. And the original release date was November 26, 1942, at least in the limited release that got it to qualify for the Oscars and... Then the wide release hit in January 1943. So this is a case where the copyright year and the Oscar contention years are two different years. So that has actually been two years in a row that happened since we also saw that with Mrs. Miniver last month. So basic plots. This movie was a contemporary World War II film. So America had started participating in World War II, although they've got very little influence over this, aside from the fact that Humphrey Bogart, the lead, is an American. He's in Casablanca, which is under German control at the time, although it's... Which the Germans have a lot of influence, but a lot of the people are French, so it's kind of that... Because the Germans had also taken Paris at the time, but there was the strong underground from the French. A couple of German couriers with important documents were killed in the desert... And a man named Ugarte asks Rick to hold those documents for an hour or so until he can make arrangements to sell them and get out. Because they are incredibly important and incredibly valuable travel documents. You can basically go anywhere with them. So there's a lot of value to either side of the war with those. Ugarte is publicly arrested in Rick's cafe. And when the people who are coming to meet him show up and he's not there, they have to make other arrangements. Now there's Victor Laszlo, who's a famous underground Czechoslovakian who's been opposing the Nazis, who faces off against the Nazis, but it's still clearly under local jurisdictions. The Nazis can't just have him arrested. They can strongly request it, but they can't just do it themselves. They have to work with the locals to make it happen. One of the major complications comes when we find out that Victor Laszlo's wife is the love of Rick's life. They had a very passionate affair in Paris when they promised not to ask questions about their past, but she did reveal that her husband had died. We learn in the modern times that while she thought her husband had died, uh, that she was misinformed. And he was still alive and within a concentration camp. When she found out, she left Rick with no explanation, just left him abandoned on a train station as he left. And that's why he's in Casablanca. Some of those flames are rekindled. It looks like Ilsa... The woman actually loves both men, Rick and her husband. But Rick is still in love with her. And should we spoil the ending on this? 
I think it's safe too. Yeah, I, it's been spoiled often enough. So yeah, Rick makes the ultimate sacrifice and sends her with Victor because while he does love her, he knows that Victor would be able to provide a better future for her and she's going to be safer with him. And he says what he needs to say to hopefully make sure that she's happier with him too. Although, those in the room say no. And another major player in this is uh, Louis Renault, who is the French police officer who's sort of in charge of the, the local area in Casablanca. And yeah, so that's the basic plot. And then shall we talk about the cast? Yes, because I think I even prefer this to Grand Hotel. I think this is the best cast film we've watched so far on this podcast. Oh, yeah. It, it is definitely on the short list. There's no question about that. So the star, Humphrey Bogart, plays Rick Blaine. He was nominated for an acting award by the Academy this year, but he, he did not win Best Actor. So he lost to Paul Lucas from Watch on the Rhine. Then we have Ingrid Bergman, who I believe is the niece of director Ingmar Bergman, if memory serves. She plays Ilse Lund. Paul Henried as Victor Laszlo. Claude Rains as Louis Renault. Conrad Veidt as Heinrich Strasser. Sidney Greenstreet as Signor Ferrari. Peter Lorre as Ugarte. Those are the key players, but they're not the only players from there. I don't know if there's any others you want to call attention to. I think this is a tour de force for character actors. Uh, Leonid Kinski as Sasha. You know, Yvonne, I love you, but he pay me. Yeah. S.K. Sakal as Carl. People would know him as kind of a the Hungarian jowled waiter type. The, the scene between when he watches Rick help the Bulgarian customer and he's so beside himself with joy. It's it's great. Yeah. And how did I forget to bring up Dooley Wilson as Sam? Yeah. There's so many here. And I'm not seeing his name on the, the credit list. I don't remember what his actual name is. But the man who played uh, Gower in It's a Wonderful Life is also in this in a very small role. Blanking on his name. It's I think he's got maybe 30 seconds of screen time in this one. But yeah, he's one of them. And this will frequently come up very high on the American Film Institute list of top romance films of all time. So what what's your history with this film? When was the first time you saw it? I had to have first seen it probably in the early 90s. On my dad's side of family, there's a strong history of film loving, and I won't go into all of that there. But m my dad was a fan of uh, mysteries and film noir, and one of his favorite films was The Maltese Falcon. And when I got out of high school and was where I could choose my own selections and what I rented and when I rented it, I rented uh, The Maltese Falcon just because I remembered it fondly. And then when I saw that this had a lot of the same supporting cast as The Maltese Falcon, I rented and watched this and fell in love with it. That That's easy to do, so... Not to tip my hand too early, but the Academy did well this year. Yeah, I I honestly don't know that I could say how young I was when I first saw it. In my case, it's my mom's side of the family that are the, the big movie buffs. 
So my mom's name is Glynis because my grandmother went into labor on the way home from a Glynis Johns movie. My name is Blaine because Casablanca is my mother's all-time favorite movie and Humphrey Bogart plays Rick Blaine. So I'm actually named after his character from this film. And yeah, so I've seen it numerous times starting, you know, basically as soon as I was old enough that I was open to watching things that were in black and white. So given my history, that might have been five or six the first time I watched it through. So yeah, this this is a good one. Yeah, and there's there's not a bad performance in it. Paul Heinrich, his Victor Laszlo is maybe a little bit more vanilla, but it's not a bad performance. It's just this isn't a comedy, but he's still the straight man, if you will, in this story that's just permeated with colorful characters. Yeah, I wonder if he was almost directed to play it neutral, because on the one hand, you want the audience to be rooting for Rick and Elsa to get back together because they're clearly in love with each other. But at the same time, when Elsa does end up with him and, and does leave with her husband, Victor, you don't want to object too strenuously. You want to believe that, yes, she, you know, if it wasn't for her love for Rick, she really would be genuinely happy with him. It's a fine line to walk. And I almost wonder if that if he has to play it very neutral and very vanilla so that you don't have passionate fans on either side of that argument. My favorite in this is Claude Rains. We, we've kind of danced around him on this podcast a little bit. He was the um, Prince John in Michael Curtiz's uh, Adventures of Robin Hood, which was nominated but didn't win in the year that it came out. His Renault, just that he's so unabashedly corrupt. I didn't really know what the, what the usual suspects meant and the connotation that was there with that until this film. Yeah, the the usual suspects was named after the line in this film. And to me, Claude Rains, I remembered him when I saw this. I was already familiar with him as the Invisible Man in that film. He was the title character. So you have to recognize his voice, because clearly you don't actually see him on screen in The Invisible Man. It's a fairly faithful adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel, in which the character is already invisible by the time we meet him. But yeah, he's... He's just does a brilliant job in this, absolutely deadpan with some of the funniest lines. And that's one thing that often gets missed. It's, they Everyone touts this as a romance, which it is, first and foremost. But it has a very dry wit and some genuinely hilarious lines. Like, you know, why are you in Casablanca? I came for the waters, but we're in the desert. I was misinformed. It makes me laugh out loud every time. We'll get to Conrad Veidt, but Strasser has Rick's shut down, and when Renell kind of begrudgingly does it, when Rick asks him on what grounds, I'm shocked, shocked to find out that there's gambling going on in here, and then the croupier walks by, you're winning, sir, thank you, and without even looking, he just kind of stuffs the money in his pocket and goes on his business. <laughs> yeah, that's another one of the classics, and I mean, now that you mentioned Conrad Veidt, we might as well get into it because he's I don't think he's as well known in Los Angeles but I know him for his German work we're talking about the man who was Cesar in the cabin of Dr. Caligari in 1920 and he was also uh, Gwynplaine in The Man Who Laughs so two pinnacles of the German expressionist movement and he was 
front and center in both of those. And this is almost the end of his career. 119 acting credits on the IMDb. He's only got one that comes out after Above Suspicion, or after Casablanca, and that is Above Suspicion. Uh, largely because he actually passed away April 3rd, 1943 at age 50. Well, and it's, it's worth noting just for genre front fans of some of the other uh, circles we run in, his performance in The Man Who Laughs was part of the visual inspiration for The Joker. And you can see it in this film. Yeah, he he's really good as sort of an underplayed menace. Like you, you do believe that he is very cold and will do whatever he needs to do to obtain his goals. And at the same time, it's because he is passionate for the fatherland. He's he's one of those those, those scary movie Nazis where it's not just these are my orders and he's swept up in it. You get the feeling that, no, he believes in these goals and that he is in all in on the Nazi philosophy. Can we talk about the music a little bit? I know that's not a subject that we normally go into, but Casablanca has a soundtrack that I would buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, the eponymous as time goes by, you know. I, I can't resist knocking on things when they do knock on wood in the film. I it, I just get swept up in it. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, we're looking at a very popular saloon that has musical entertainment to help draw the customers in. And it's totally plausible that it does. I mean, it's one of several films that was nominated for Best Scoring this year. When I say several, I mean 16. It lost a song of Bernadette, which had actually the most nominations and the most awards at the the 16th annual Oscars. So Song of Bernadette actually won four awards and was nominated for 12. And yeah, music was one of the ones that Casablanca was nominated for. So it it, it had a few nominations this year. That is for sure. And I think they're all well-deserved. I haven't seen the Song of Bernadette but, yeah, knowing that Song of Bernadette beat Casablanca for music, I would want to go through. And I wonder if that's because it is original score, so they're not counting the fun songs that they play. Because as time goes right. by and the knock on wood, those were existing songs that they just chose to use. Right? So this would be more for the actual background score. So maybe that's why I ended up losing because the, a lot of the notable pieces were not original to the film. They were just extremely well utilized by the film. That's why they cast Dooley Wilson. He's Sam, who is clearly a longtime friend of Rick's. We see that he was there in Paris. He knows the relationship between them. We don't even know that Rick has Ilsa in his past. We find out when she walks in, and we see the way first Sam reacts to her, and then the way she reacts to Sam. And... There are a few unfortunate lines of dialogue because of the time, but there's a lot of loyalty between Rick and Sam. Sam breaks his neck trying to get Elsa either out of there or hidden or whatever he can do to not draw attention to the fact that she's there to make Rick miss her. Yeah, it had it been entirely up to Sam, they never would have crossed paths in this one. And that's established extremely well early on. So Ferrari, played by Sidney Greenstreet, he is the kingpin of the town. He's the acknowledged head of the all illegal activities in the underworld. 
he runs another saloon called the Blue Parrot, and he wants to to get Sam over there because Sam is that good. And when he tells that to Rick, Rick's like, well, let's go talk to him. So he walks over with absolute confidence saying, hey, Sam, he wants to pay you double what I'm paying you. And it's just the fact that he walks over and he makes the incredibly lucrative offer and Sam's like, no, I'm happy here. I, I don't have time to spend the money I'm already making. I'm good. So Rick and Sam's relationship is such that Rick knows Sam's not going anywhere. And I do believe Sam when he says, yeah, I'm, you're treating me so well. I, I don't have time to spend that money. So I believe that they are doing what they can for each other. At the point in the film when Rick is closing out his affairs in Casablanca, I'm not sure if at that point he knew what he was going to do or not, but he does make arrangements to sell Rick's to Ferrari. And there's also that point to where he tries to lie to Ferrari. Sam gets 25% of the profits. And Ferrari goes, no, he gets 10, but he's worth 25%, so I'll honor that. Yeah, so we know. Yeah, he is being well-treated. But yeah, and that's that's it. I think, I honestly don't know that Rick decided what he was going to do until he was at that airport. Or it was, I think it was an impulsive, in-the-moment decision. And he didn't know what which way he was going to go with it until he had to make that choice. And I think the same can be said of... Renault, what struck me when I saw this film for the first time is it is a great love story and romance between Rick and Ilsa, and there's a strong triangle, and I'm not going to take anything away from that. But no one ever talks about the friendship and kind of bromance between Rick and Renault. And I don't think Renault knew what he was going to do until he covered up Strasser shooting. Yeah, I would agree. And that's that that shot he was making the choice and they got that in the filming because so rick blaine eventually kills the nazi strasser to make sure ilsa and victor can get away and he does it right in front of renault so there's absolutely no question renault knew exactly what happened and he knew why so when the other nazis come in and they're going what do we do the camera cuts back and forth between rick and louis as they're making eye contact and louis just says round up the usual suspects so they're just going to make it hard for the agitators, but he's got no intention of actually persecuting. And even when they're walking away, they realize, yeah, we may both have to leave here. So, yeah, it was it was a great moment. Seeing them walk, or the two of them walk off, I got a lot of the same feeling that I got watching Sherlock and Watson, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, as they're walking away from the ambulance and the you know, the police at the end of that first episode of the BBC Sherlock. Right. In a similar situation, right? This is one where Sherlock has deduced that it was Watson who killed the man that saved his life, and he decides not to reveal it. So have you seen the BBC Sherlock? I have. Okay. I've seen Good. all three seasons, wasn't it? Four, yeah. There's four seasons, a couple of years specials, yeah. So that first season especially, I strongly recommend to anyone with even a little bit of interest in it. The whole series is good, but that first season is just magnificent. And I just have to say this. You mentioned Green Street, or Sydney Green Street as Ferrari owning the Blue Parrot. In my expanded film, Head Cannon, the Blue Parrot is where Indiana Jones gets drunk when he thinks Marion is dead and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know the geography doesn't work out. But I, I just like to think that because they're the exact same kind of rundown watering hole. You see why people pick Rick's over the Blue Parrot if they have a choice. 
Yeah. Yeah, you do. But no, and this Casablanca has had a lot of influence. We've got the Carrot Blanca short. It's filled with it. Actually, if we check the IMDb connections list. So it's actually followed by a 1955 TV series, a 1983 TV series, and the movie Return to Casablanca, none of which I've seen. It's been remade twice, probably for those same TV series. It was edited into... It's been spoofed 141 times. It's been featured in 214 titles. It has been referenced in 1,369 different titles. I don't think I've seen anything that hits those kind of numbers. No. That's an astonishingly long list. We've got everything from Star Trek The Next Generation to Moonlighting to Dallas, to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, to DuckTales, Perfect Strangers, Alf, Valerie, Murphy Brown, Cheers, even Mystery Science Theater 3000, they spoof that that last speech with Crow saying, you know, Jip's the problem of two little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Night Court, Family Ties, Garfield, The Raccoons, so everything from Primetime comedy to primetime drama to movies to Saturday morning cartoons. Gremlins 2. It was part of a theme park ride. This was one of the handful of films that was on Disney's MGM Studios film ride. They had animatronics of Ilsa and Rick next to the plane. Yeah, it's all of them. I'm scrolling down through here. And yeah, that wouldn't even be listed here, those references. This is just the stuff that's in media. I'm seeing even video games. Quest for Glory 2 has the, this might be the start of a beautiful friendship line. Right? It's just, yeah. Like I said, there are there's over 1,300 references. So there's no doubt that this is culturally pervasive. Now, some of those, the one, some of those movies that have a big impact on the culture and they become part of the vernacular don't age as well as others do. I mean, I've heard things about The Graduate when I watched that. I I mean, I was much younger. I had already seen this. I enjoyed it, but I couldn't get through The Graduate. It just, that felt too dated, even 20 years later. And here we're watching this almost 80 years later, and it's still riveting. Well, it's, it's a great script with incredible dialogue. There are mature themes throughout but it never gets lurid but you know it the MacGuffin, as you said are these letters of transit so the you don't see it but the film opens with two german carriers are killed you got ugarte is killed while in custody and as renault says we haven't decided if it was uh if it was suicide or if he was killed when he was trying to escape there are circumstances beyond, behind it, but Elsa essentially had an extramarital affair. She didn't mean to. She thought her husband was dead, but, you know, still it happened. Renault preys on women, young women in trouble in the town. You know, the Bulgarian couple that Rick helps, Rick helps because the young newlywed wife ask for his advice because essentially Renault has made the offer I can get you an exit visa if you can't pay me for it if you sleep with me I'll give you the extra the exit visas yeah that was very clearly an indecent proposal yeah 
that was presented to her. But again, it never feels trashy. No, it it lets you know the kind of town that they're in and the level of corruption that's around them. So what that ends up doing is it helps you understand why Rick has to take banners in his own hands, why he can't go to the authorities even though they're friends. Right? The town is just that corrupt, the rest is unpredictable, and you have to take care of it yourself. You feel like this is a fully realized world, and I wonder how the people who were actually living in Casablanca at the time reacted to the way their city was being represented. Because like we said, this came out in 1942. This was contemporary in its release. You know, I don't know, but one of the things that I found interesting is this has a very international cast and the wikipedia article on the film makes the point that while you wouldn't commonly take the route laid out in the narration at the beginning of the film there are quite a few actors in this film who had a similar experience because they were fleeing nazi fascism in the earlier stages of world war ii yeah, this probably resonated with a lot of the cast here. I mean, just Conrad Veidt, yeah, he was a major member or major player in the, the German film studios for years. But again, this is during World War II, and he's filming for America. If you check out his IMDb list, he seems to to flip from the German films to English language films right around 1933 and 34. His 1932 and 33 credit list is surprisingly short compared to the other years. So, I mean, I don't know much about his biography, but when he goes from making German films to making American films, just as the Nazis took power, and I'm seeing things like the title role in The Wandering Jew, I suspect that he was definitely one of those people who fled because it was not safe for him in Nazi Germany. Peter Lorre left Germany in 33. S.E. Sakal uh, left in 39. So, I mean, this this was a contemporary experience for a lot of them. Yeah. So, shall we talk about all the awards that were given this year? Sure. So, as we said, Casablanca was the winner of Best Picture, or Outstanding Motion Picture at the time. It was up against For Whom the Bell Tolls, Heaven Can Wait, The Human Comedy, In Which We Serve, Madame Curie, the More the Merrier, The Oxbow Incident, The Song of Bernadette, and Watch on the Rhine. Now, on that list, the only one I've seen is Heaven Can Wait. And even though that's well made, I struggle with that one. Have you seen Heaven Can Wait? I've seen Heaven Can Wait, and I've seen For Whom the Bell Tolls. Okay. Yeah, I have issues with Heaven Can Wait. This is a coincidental name as a Warren Beatty film, but it's otherwise completely unrelated. That's about a man who dies, finds himself at the pearly gates of heaven, and says, ah, there must be some mistake. And then when he goes through all the reasons he was expecting to go to hell, they said, well, you know what, we're all members of God's kingdom, and all is forgiven, come on in. And I don't know, i got to say that he convinced me that he was in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Best director, Michael Curtiz, did win for Casablanca, beat out Ernest Lubitz for Heaven Can Wait, Clarence Brown for The Divine Comedy, George Stevens for The More the Merrier, and Henry King for The Song of Bernadette. And Michael Curtiz was a very versatile director, but this may have seemed like a departure at the time because he was building he was building a reputation as a swashbuckler director because he had directed The Seahawk, Captain Blood, 
and The Adventures of Robin Hood all before this. So moving on to Best Actor, uh, Humphrey Bogart lost to Paul Lucas for Watch on the Rhine, as we said. There's also Gary Cooper for Whom the Bell Tolls, Walter Pidgeon for Madame Curie, and Mickey Rooney for The Human Comedy. The Best Actress nominations, that went to Jennifer Jones for The Song of Bernadette. But we also had Gene Arthur for The More the Merrier. Ingrid Bergman was nominated for For Who the Bell Tolls. So, you know, the female lead here did get a nomination that year, just for a different role. Joan Fontaine for The Constant Nymph, and Greer Garson for Madame Curie as the title role. Best Supporting Actor went to Charles Coburn for The More and the Merrier, up against Charles Bickford for The Song of Bernadette, J. Carol Nash for Sahara, Claude Rains for Casablanca, and Akim Tamaroff for Who the Bell Tolls. Supporting Actress is one that, yeah, Casablanca was not nominated, so this is the first of these six major categories we've hit so far, where it wasn't nominated, but frankly, apart from Yvonne and the Bulgarian woman, I can't think of another female character. Yeah, there there wouldn't have been one to nominate. So we've got uh, Katina Paxino winning for, for Whom the Bell Tolls, up against uh, Gladys Cooper for Song of Bernadette, Paulette Goddard, So Proudly We Hail, Anne Revere, Song of Bernadette, and Lucille Watson, Watch on the Rhine. Best Original Screenplay went to Norman Krasna for Princess O'Rourke, up against Air Force, In Which We Serve the North Star, and So Proudly We Hail. The Best Screenplay is the one that Casablanca was eligible for, because it was based on a play, and it did take that home for the writing team that we mentioned earlier. Uh, beat out Holy Matrimony, The More the Merrier, The Song of Bernadette, and Watch on the Rhine. Now, Best Original Motion Picture Story went to the human comedy. It beat out Action in the North Atlantic, Destination, Tokyo, The More the Merrier, and Shadow of a Doubt, which is another strong Hitchcock film starring... Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright. I'd recommend that one too. Best Documentary went to Desert Victory by the British Ministry of Information. And all five nominated documentary features were from one military organization or the other. The others were Baptism of Fire, United States Army, uh, Battle of Russia for the United States Department of War Special Service Division, Report from the Aleutians, United States Army Pictorial Service, and War Department Report from the United States Office of Strategic Surface Field Photographic Bureau. So, yeah, if we look at the documentary sort, short subjects, it's similar. We've got December 7th by the United States Navy as the winner. It beat out Children of Mars, Plan for Destruction, Swedes in America, another war film, To the People of the United States, Tomorrow We Fly from the Navy Bureau of Aeronautics, and Youth in Crisis from the March of Time. Best Short subjects for cartoons, we've got Yankee Doodle Mouse by Fred Quimby, 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cummins, The Dizzy Acrobat, Readings, Bait, Imagination, and Reason and Emotion by Walt Disney. The live-action one-reelers went to Ambitious Fighter, or, sorry, not Ambitious, Amphibious Fighters by Grantland Rice, also Cavalcade of Dance, Champions Carry On, Hollywood in Uniform, and Seeing Hands. Two-reel short subject went to Heavenly Music, beating out Letter to a Hero, Mardi Gras, and Women at War. Uh, we already talked about Song of Bernadette winning Best Scoring. That was scored by Alfred Newman, who's probably best known these days, or his best known work anyway, would be the 20th Century Fox fanfare. That's Newman. So that beat out Amazing Mrs. Holiday, Casablanca by Max Steiner, Commando Strike at Dawn, Fallen Sparrow, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Hangman Also Die, 
High Dill Dill in Old Oklahoma, Johnny Come Lately, The Kansan, Lady of Burlesque, Madame Curie, The Moon and Sixpence, The North Star, and Victory Through Air Power. Best scoring of a musical picture went to This Is the Army for Hey Reindorf. Beating out Coney Island, Hit Parade in 1943, Phantom of the Opera, Saludos Amigos, The Sky's the Limit, Something to Shout About, Stage Door Canteen, Star Spangled Rhythm, and Thousand Cheers. And that would be Claude Rains' Phantom of the Opera, correct? I believe so. It's the 1943 version. Yes, starring Claude Rains. I think rather than go through all of these in detail, since Casablanca wasn't nominated for the rest, I'll just run through the other awards and the winners, rather than all the sure. nominees, if that works. Best original song went to You'll Never Know from Hello Frisco Hello, sound recording to This Land Is Mine, art direction to Song of Bernadette, uh, that's for the black and white, and for the uh, best art direction color, that went to Phantom of the Opera. Black and white cinematography went to Song of Bernadette, which beat out Casablanca, which had also been nominated. Color cinematography went to Phantom of the Opera. Film editing, Air Force, beat out Casablanca as well as Five Graves to Cairo, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and The Song of Bernadette. And special effects went to Crash Dive. And again, a lot... It looks like everything else in that category was a war film. Air Force, Bombardier, The North Star, So Proudly We Hail, and Stand By for Action. So I, I feel like the, the people I had in school who said that, yeah, North America and the Allies did not participate in propaganda during the wars may have been mistaken. <laughs> yes. Another award I would mention, we, we normally don't, but I'll mention it because it does have a, a tie to this, is uh, Hal B. Wallace won the Irving Thalberg Memorial Award in this ceremony, and Wallace was the producer of Casablanca. Yes, yeah, that is worth noting. Uh, George Pell also won an award for development of novel methods and techniques in the production of short subjects known as puppetoons. Pell is a name that will show up in the Oscars year after year, but generally for technical innovation more than anything else. Yeah, so, yeah, we said that Song of Bernadette had the most nominations and wins with 12 and 4, For Whom the Bell Tolls had the second highest nominations with 9, and Casablanca had the third highest nominations with 8, and the second highest number of wins with 3. Phantom of the Opera was the other multiple award winner that year. Yeah, this was a strong year. This also came out, actually, the... This ceremony was about two months after the first ever Golden Globe Awards. So those began oh. in 1944. And looking at this, they didn't seem to announce the nominees. I don't know if they had the nominee process or if at this stage it was just like write-in votes and they tabulated it. But at the Golden Globes, the best picture went to the song of Bernadette. Best actor went to Paul Lucas on Watch on the Rhine, so there they agree. Best actress, Jennifer Jones, song of Bernadette, there they agree. Uh, supporting actor went to Akeem Tamaroff. For, for Whom the Bell Tolls, who I believe was nominated but did not win at the Oscars, and Katina Paxinou also won for Best Actress, and Best Director went to Henry King for The Song of Bernadette. So the Golden Globes seemed to appreciate Song of Bernadette more at the time. Well, I can't say they were wrong because I haven't seen The Song of Bernadette, but <laughs> I was just looking at the American Film Institute Accolade. So for listeners who may not know, the American Film Institute in the early 2000s released uh, several different best of lists. There were some that were, their most famous was 100 Years, 100 Movies. They did others based off of uh, genre, some were top 10 list, etc. 
Casablanca was number two on their list of 100 Years, 100 Movies. It slipped to number three when they did a reevaluation 10 years later. Uh, number 37 on their list of 100 Most Thrilling Films. Number one on their list of passionate romance films. Rick Blaine came in at number four on their list of top 100 years and villains. As Time Goes By came in number two on their top 100 list of songs. And it had one, two, three, four, six different entries on most famous film quotes. Out of the top 100 film quotes, this had six with the highest being here's looking at you kid coming in at number five. Yeah. And going through these, it may have been an eligibility thing because the, the golden globes are given by the Hollywood foreign press association. So it looks like you, that their eligibility requirements are based on the wide release dates and not the LA release dates. So Casablanca okay. would not have been eligible for the first golden globes. Although by the looks of it, it didn't win anything in the second one either. And again, there's no nominations listed. But looking at it at the second and third years, yeah, actually they're going through the next, the second, third, fourth, I'm seeing a lot of movies. Yeah, in the first five Golden Globes, this is the only time that the Golden Globes and the Oscars disagreed about Best Picture. Okay. And like I said, it may be an eligibility thing. I don't know when it was nominated because they're not listing nominations. I, I think it might have just been straight up write-in votes take your pick kind of thing but it's probably worth actually doing a, a quick rundown of the golden globes because i think that's the next highest award so we'll still focus on the oscars going forward that's sure, sure. how the, the show is defined but yeah we might as well say and here's the golden globe winner and because i'm sure there's going to be some years when we think the golden globes did a better job we do also like to say how history reflects on these films going back over letterboxed ratings and the IMDb ratings, and every website that pulls them puts Casablanca number one for the year. So it looks like any disagreements would be on what else should have been nominated, but everyone agrees on the winner for Best Picture here. I'm seeing, you know, for example, Letterboxd, it, Casablanca is number one for the year. Then there's To Be or Not To Be, The Oxbow Incident, or Incident, Magnificent Ambersons, Now Voyager, there was a father, Random Harvest, Palm Beach Story, Gentleman Jim, Cat People shows up in the top 12 here, and Mrs. Miniver comes in at number 14. So before we go, why don't we just say who would we recommend this movie to? Everyone. Yeah, it. I would say that if you are open to watching black and white films, which I suspect is the overwhelming majority of our audience at this point in time, then you can expect to enjoy Casablanca. If you're going in with an open mind saying, it is possible I'm going to enjoy this, I think you'll enjoy it. All right, so with that, I think all we have left to do is invite everyone to join us next month. This is the 17th annual Academy Awards, where the winner was going my way, and it beat out Double Indemnity, Gaslight, which also stars Ingrid Bergman, Since You Went Away, and Wilson. So did you have anything else to add? I just want to caution all our listeners to be careful because there are vultures, vultures everywhere. Yes, that is good advice. That's another part of the comedy of when 
Carl bumps into that pickpocket and checks his pockets because he knows who this man is. Okay. Anyway, so yes, if you haven't watched Casablanca yet, do so at your earliest convenience. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I want some more.